0: Hey there, I'm Ant Morehouse and welcome to the Antitoxin Podcast. The Antitoxin is designed for the professional who has ticked all the social norm boxes but feels like something is missing, the entrepreneur at risk of losing perspective, and the dreamer who wants to turn their epic idea into reality. Join me and my awesomely authentic and vulnerable guests as we explore how to avoid living lives of quiet desperation and instead, aim to achieve what I call the triple crown of having a fulfilling professional life while doing some good in this world, while having a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Hey there, fellow humans. Today, we're talking about wellness, but from a fairly kind of blokey, masculine kind of a way with Tim Jack Adams, and Tim is all about helping people to connect with themselves, each other, the natural environment. We're going to talk a lot about setting up a daily rhythm in life to help get the most out of ourselves. Tim's a great guy. This is a great conversation. I've never met Tim face-to-face. This is my first interview that I I haven't actually known the person, but I heard Tim interviewed on another podcast, Unforgiving 60, which is an awesome podcast for anyone who's looking to delve deeper into the sort of the ex special forces meets MBA business talk. If you're not getting enough of the sort of special forces y business talk out of the antitoxin, then Unforgiven 60 with Ben and Tim is awesome. But enough of that, let's get into the conversation with Tim Jack Adams. Tim, thanks very much for coming on the program, mate. Great to have you here today. Pleasure, Anthony. So I heard you on Unforgiving 60, which is uh, a podcast recently put out by a couple of guys I know, Tim Curtis and, uh, and Ben Pronk, and yeah, you know, I really liked your interview on their show, and I reached out to Tim and said, hey, in proper kind of army fashion, do you mind if I plagiarise all your work? So they did a great job interviewing you, and I'm, I'm basically just going to, um,
1: yeah, just going to copy them if that's okay with you. Sounds good, mate. They're good blokes, Tim and Ben. So got a good podcast going, mate, but I'm um, looking forward to this one too. Yeah, and I'd certainly recommend anyone out
0: there listening to The Antitoxin. The, the Unforgiving 60 is a is a damn good podcast, so do yourself a favour and, and listen to that. So, Tim, wellness and wellness for the everyday sort of person is your jam, and, and I really like the way that that you're approaching it because it's inclusive, particularly for not just, not just, but, but I think... You really appeal to to men and and the the sort of the the types of men who perhaps wouldn't naturally get into to wellness so tell us about your your approach to it and maybe maybe start by how
1: you how you kind of got to this point yeah sure mate well, i guess um easy for me to relate to blokes because i grew up in a family of six boys and uh it was a pretty rough and ready household mate growing up in those days and i think the interesting thing like when you're saying about wellness and making it for the everyday it was it was really interesting when i actually first looked at the definition of wellness because before then and probably i'd say going back maybe seven years ago now wellness to me was very fluffy it was very girly blokes didn't do it you know we're too hardcore for that stuff and it wasn't until i actually looked up the definition that i was comfortable with using the word wellness because it actually just means the deliberate effort to look after yourself mentally emotionally physically and spiritually that's all it was. And I was thinking, wow, I was like, that's not fluffy at all. I was like, that's just bloody practical. So I didn't mind starting to use the word wellness. The problem is now is that wellness is kumbaya and it's almost getting blokes to just understand that that's how simple it is. Right,
0: right. And how how did it come about? I mean, you grew up in a family of, of six boys, so it doesn't sound like yoga and meditation and all of that sort of stuff was, you know, part of your genetics. So how did you get into it?
1: Yeah, so, uh, mate, part of my genetics was basically surfing and boxing growing up and the occasional uh, skating around the neighbourhood and causing trouble. That was my uh, childhood. I think for me, mate, it was probably not until the age of 30. So up until then, I was very much a man with a mask on. It probably started when I was 13 and, you know, I was the smallest. My nickname was Smurf growing up because all my brothers, like my little brother's six foot seven, mate, and I'm only six foot, so... You know, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of picking on me. And um, I remember going to mum one day and she said, look, she said, if you don't want the boys to pick on you, just don't cry. And I thought, okay, well that sounds practical enough. So basically I did. I took mum's advice and I stopped crying and I hardened up and I learned to box and basically, you know, I sort of became, I guess, a, a leader of men like my brothers were. And I, made, I probably didn't cry until I was 25 actually again great in some circumstances, but bloody shithouse in others when, you know, you you really need to be emotional, especially when you've got a partner and you you know, you really need to get the DNMs. And that's just I just wasn't willing to go there. And I guess for me, you know, growing up through my especially in my twenties, it was very blokey, you know, we didn't really, you know, sort of talk about our feelings. It was very much hardened up. You know, the usual stuff that blokes do. And I realized that, you know, around me that a lot of my mates, a lot of my brothers we were really suffering, you know, it was keeping it all internal. It was just not healthy for us. And it was a couple of things probably around the age of between 30 and 33 that really started to affect me, you know, it affected a couple of people around me. I lost one of my really good mates to suicide. You know, i lost a, you know, a girlfriend of mine, but then the other thing that really helped me was actually getting a partner. Bree actually came on to work for our company water sports guru back then and she actually somehow managed to chip away at that bloody concrete heart that I'd been pouring concrete on for years and years and years basically just trying to be the most resilient tough bloke out there because for me that was how we survived right it wasn't until those few things happened and you know a couple of my brothers were struggling as well that I realized that us blokes trying to be resilient and trying to be this whole, you know, blokey bloke, don't talk about your emotions, wasn't working. So I started looking around you know, at different ways, how we could actually start to, you know, communicate to each other without feeling like we're being vulnerable. And I think for me, that was the start of how Green X7 became what it is today was really just working out how we can as blokes talk about our feelings to other guys and actually be able to share it without feeling like we're losing our masculinity. So it was a a big, long journey for me, mate. But um, it's funny enough, I've come out the other side and I'm a lot softer than I used to be. I don't even box anymore. I do do yoga, which is hilarious. I've done a complete 180. Funny enough, I sort of feel more manly than I ever have. It's really bizarre.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And you mentioned something there around you felt the need to be resilient. Like, you know, our, our common notion of resiliency is you know, concrete, it's hard. It's, but then it be, when, whenever we're hard and fixed, it becomes brittle and then it sort of snaps. And yeah. if anything, you know, when I think of resiliency now, you know, it's like a palm tree that can sort of take huge amounts of winds, but it sort of, it bends and flows and you know, it's not that brittle, that brittle thing anymore. And so much of what you were just talking about, about growing up was pretty much the way I grew up. It's pretty much the way I think most boys, Uh, raised, and and girls as well, I think, but it's definitely more acceptable for girls to be showing vulnerability, showing emotion. I mean, you know, I'm now 40, what am I, 41? I don't think I used the term vulnerability until two or three years ago, right? As a man, that's just not sort of part of the vocabulary. So it's really interesting that, you're out there creating or have created and and sort of leading quite a successful business in this in this regard because it's like you're riding a wave you know if if you had have come up with this five years ago ten years ago you know I, i think i don't think it would have worked so you're sort of you're certainly leading this conversation but it's obviously resonating with people you know not just sort of long haired hippies that are already doing yoga, that are, you know, already meditating, that are already reading spirituality books or whatever. Like your clients are, are minors, they're soldiers. You know, these are, these are the blokiest of blokes that you're obviously touching a cord with. So it must be very satisfying, mate.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that, cause that word vulnerability, I think like you, you know, it's something that I never would have used in terms of speaking about <laughs> myself. But I think for us, like I grew up, I've got three dads. It's an interesting childhood. And funny enough, I'm, I'm actually good mates with all of them now. And, um, you know, you sort of look at those guys as father figures, right? And, you know, they're all the strong, resilient type. You know, the third dad we called Chief because he just never talked. And, you know, ex-footy player and all that stuff. But I realise that, mate, at the end of the day, I think blokes are starting to understand that we're losing a lot of mates around us you know, suicide and depression is really starting to take its toll. And my, even in my community alone, I know this year we've lost a few blokes, you know, just down the road from me to suicide and they're aged between 25 and 44. So I think we've sort of come to realise that, you know, we don't actually have to be as tough as nails anymore. We're not going through bloody world wars anymore. We're not going off to fight every day of the week. So I feel like the, the average bloke sort of can go, right, maybe I don't have to be as hardcore and as tough as nails and GI Joe. And maybe it's actually better for me to start to just loosen up this brittleness that you were talking about. Cause I think you're right, mate, that metaphor about that palm swaying in the wind, that's, that's a beautiful metaphor for resilience because that's exactly how we need to be. And to do that blokes just need to be vulnerable with each other. Like we just, it just takes someone to say something shallow then go a little bit deeper and then a little bit deeper and may eventually you're actually talking about your feelings and we're actually starting to heal each other just by actively listening and just by sharing what we're going through at the end of the day that's what it's all about and look women do it really well we just we just need to you know take a leap out of their book sometimes so
0: how do we do that? Because two men sitting down face to face over a warm cup of tea, sharing our emotions, that's kind of not how we roll naturally. Yeah, so yeah. how do we talk to each other?
1: I love it, mate, because I have one of my good mates, Matty, who um, is one of our Green 7 facilitators. And he's probably gone through you know, a similar journey and we're really comfortable with each other. Now we give each other a big hug at the start and end of a meeting. You know, it's we talk about all sorts of emotions and it was really funny because on my, um, I've got a home office as well, and uh, we have these two camping chairs, right? You know, 50 bucks from Bunnings. And I love them because it doesn't matter what client's in that chair. For me, it just makes them feel right at home, you know? And it's really interesting because every time that, you know, we have someone over and it's a female, the chairs get changed completely different to when mm. a male sits next to a male. So when, you know, when I chat to a woman, it's more face-to-face. And it's so typical of blokes to basically just put their chairs side by side, sort of looking out, you know. And and it's really interesting because as the conversation got deeper and deeper, I sort of noticed just both starting to bring our chairs in on an angle. And then we almost, almost, not quite, started facing face to face to each other. So it's hilarious. It's like you've got to start shoulder to shoulder And then as the conversation gets more intimate and deeper, you find yourself sort of turning inwards. Now, I don't know if blokes are ever gonna go face to face, that's probably asking too much. But I think that, you know, you get the 45 angle going on, I I think we're making some progress. (laughs) (laughs) No comes back to geometry at the end of the day. (laughs) Exactly. It
0: actually reminds me of a, my grandfather ran a, um, a sheep and cattle station in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. And whenever there was something going on, whenever there was drama in the house, he would get whoever was the other party, put them in and say, right, let's, let's go for a drive. Let's go and check the windmills or check the sheep or whatever. And you'd be gone for an hour and it'd start off in silence. And because you're obviously both, you know, in the car facing the road and ine- inevitably, while by the time that you'd finished what you were sort of there to do, you know, the conversation had opened up and you, you end up in this sort of, deep and meaningful conversation because he was very good at that in his own way. And it's like chipping away. It's like, you know, it's, it's warming things up very slowly. And I think as men, we kind of need that. And what you're saying really is resonating because, and certainly if we sit down across from a woman to talk about something deep and meaningful, like our partner and their natural approach is to kind of delve straight into the deep and meaningful because they're equipped to do that. Mm. and we're kind of not i love the deck chair movement into 45
1: (laughs) as a as as mission success i tell you the best conversations i have and it's funny because when i do um i do a lot of one-on-ones with executive coaching and i never i never really get us to sit down i always do something active so whether Mm. that's you know paddle boarding next to each other whether it's riding a bike whether it's sitting in the surf whether it's you know walking whatever it is i find that if we're involved in an active activity and we're talking at the same time, it seems to have a better effect. It's sort of it feels like we're we're doing something rather than talking, but really we're talking. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's yeah. great.
0: So you're doing two things there, right? You're, so you're you're facing forward and you're doing something other than talking, but you're also out in nature, which mm. just sparks a whole different part of the brain, which I don't understand from a scientific point of view, but but it always it always seems to work. And
1: and I know that involvement Or connection with nature is a big part of your thing too right? Mm. Yeah mate for me everything I try and do is trying to involve the natural environment and it's funny because if we go to a park if we go to a beach if we go camping we sort of innately feel that you know our stress levels lower we have a general over sense of well-being but when I started to look at the science behind all this I started back in 2012 so before that mate I've I've spent my whole life, you know, sort of engaging in nature. And I used to be a, you know, a dive master, I used to take people all over the world. And then mate, I was basically hiring out paddle boards on the side of a creek for years. You know, I was really noticing the difference between when we actively engage in nature compared to sitting in four walls. So we did a lot of research. We spent four years researching active, you know, we call it green exercise, being active in nature. And a couple of things that happen, which is what you were talking about before you you know, you know that it feels good, you just don't know why. Well, a couple of really cool things that happen. So every evergreen tree around us, right? So every time we go to a park or, you know, things like that, there's actually a chemical that gets created from leaves called photon sides. And every time we breathe those photon sides in, it actually reduces our cortisol levels, which is stress, lowers our blood pressure by up to 10 points increases our overall well being and this happens all within two minutes. You know, it's quite phenomenal what science does. And then if we're out in the ocean or we're waterfall, negative ions, that does the same thing. It amplifies all these effects. The sunshine, mate, well that helps actually prevent up to fifty chronic diseases and illnesses and you know improves mental well being. So the science behind it's phenomenal. And for me now it's a tool, right? Like we have to start looking at nature as a tool to improve our mental and physical health. So most one-on-ones probably get done, you know, in an office, they sit down on chairs, you know, and they chat about it, right? Well, that might be good for your, you know, mental, but it's not actually great for everything else. So what we try and do at Green X 7 is combine everything together, you know, the, the connection, the movement, the environment, the time, the conversations, all into one session, because but I don't want someone to sit on their ass all day and then come see me and then sit on their ass again. I actually want to improve them mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, all at the same time. To me, it's just practical, right? We're so, po- we're so time poor that I really need to make sure that my clients get the most benefit out of what we're doing.
0: That's awesome. How do you talk to your clients or, or your mates or whatever about, about spirituality? Because, you know, uh, a generation or so ago, you know, are you Catholic? Are you Anglican? Like, you know, pretty, pretty sort of fixed in boxes. Everyone's put into pigeonholes. And then for the last generation or so, it's basically just don't talk about that stuff at all. You, know, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion. You're wrapping spirituality into your professional services offering, which is then, you know, you're working with executives, you're working with soldiers, you're working with minors, etc. So how are, you, how are you incorporating spirituality into a conversation
1: in a professional context and specifically with, with men? Mate, spirituality is a, it's a, it's an interesting one and I'm still discovering this. I, uh, I grew up, my real dad's a, um, a Christian pastor. So it was very much a, um, a very strict religious background that I probably turned away from very quickly when I had the ability to just because of the, uh, you know, the the rigmarole around it. And my main focus is definitely mentally, emotionally, physically, like that's, that's my real focus. But when we start to look at purpose, right? So purpose is one of our eight awareness areas that we look at, then a lot of the time it's, what's the bigger picture? So for me, spirituality has nothing to do with religion, right? Spirituality for me is, I know that there has to be something bigger than me, right? Because just the wonders of the world that surround us might blow my mind and and being in nature for me, like every time I go into the ocean and free dive and surf, Mate, I know there's got to be something else. Whatever that is, I don't quite know yet. You know, I'm still trying to work this out. But I think for some people, they just love to know that there's something else going on. It's just not about them. And I, But you can call it faith, which I think, you know, having faith is a wonderful thing. And I think having faith and combining that resilience, it sort of helps people sort of build a stronger shell for themselves. Some people can, make tough it out by themselves. And to be honest, mate, I'm sort of one of those guys that sort of really believes in me, and my support network around me. And I really sort of struggle looking beyond that because I feel like I've grown up so much of my life trying to support me and making sure that I can get through every barrier that's thrown at me. So I'm still trying to, and I think I I will for a long time work this spirituality stuff out. And it's, spirituality to me is definitely not sort of following the Dalai Lama and sitting cross-legged and saying, um, you know, all the time. I just think that there's got to be something else that's a lot bigger than me out there, and I think that um, there's a lot of people that resonate with that. So if it comes up in conversation, mate, then I'm more than happy to ask the questions. But I definitely don't have any answers. I can give you that much.
0: No, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting <laughs> the secret to the universe. I, I just, I just like the fact that you're having the conversation, you know, and prepared to have the conversation, and and uh, prepared to have a conversation about not knowing. Because I think one of the issues with me in spirituality is whatever people believe, they, they feel like they have to convey that in a way that they know, therefore somebody else doesn't know. Yeah, so I like, the, I like your approach there. So not from a professional side, just, just talking to our family, talking to our friends, talking to our children, you know, talking to our colleagues. If we want to open up a little bit, how do we do that when we're not used to that and we're not used to having you know, real conversations, because we're
1: blokes and we wear a mask. So this is where practical mindfulness has to come into it. So what I've learned, especially from, you know, sort of working with rehabs and things like that, and people that are really struggling, is that the one thing that we all really need in society and as individuals is to really feel valued. Right, like that's the core of what we feel we need. We need to feel valued. We need to have a sense of meaning We also need to feel like we belong right whether that's to our families our partners communities teams, whatever that is So the first thing I always tell people to do is they really want to connect And when I talk about connection, I'm not talking about over Skype or phones I'm talking about real positive human connections, you know and so the first thing we need to do is have use that practical mindfulness and that's just being there hundred percent present. So that's turning off the TV. That's, you know, putting your phones on silent and putting them away and making sure that that other person that you're talking with actually knows that you're there with them, that they actually feel valued and you're going to be there and actively listen. There's nothing worse, man. I had this, <laughs> it was hilarious, man. I went over to a client's, uh, we'll come back, but just diverging. We went over to a client's place the other day and, I'm sort of having a bit of a chat to him but he's watching the football in the background so he's got the tv I'm, I'm in front of him and he's every time you know there's a goal he's bloody watching the tv And i'm like mate this isn't working for me buddy i was like the tv goes off or i've got to leave because right now i'm supposed to be making you feel valued <laughs> but you're stripping me of a big time <laughs> so i think it's very important to first of all actually set the environment and when we talk about environment you know it's creating that positive environment that's going to give you energy and not steal it away. And then I think it's really about you, like I said, being vulnerable to start with and starting small, mate, you can't, it's hard for blokes to go straight into the deep stuff. You know, we're going to start talking about the weather, you know, we might bring up a few other things as well. And eventually it's going to be, you know, like, mate, how are you going? You know, and they're going to go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And you're like, okay. But, you know, how are we really going? Like, you know, what's, how's your, and you've sort of almost got to go through different sectors of your life, right? Because there's so much white noise going on in our head that it's very hard to pull from what's making us happy, sad, angry, frustrated, lonely, depressed, and all those things. Now, I created a card game to actually help me with this. So I actually use that card game when, you know, when I'm with my clients and things like that. And eventually we just talk the common language, like how's your battery? Because how's your battery rate? great because it's basically like, yeah, mate, I'm probably around 70% and I actually need to do this and this to improve it. So it makes us create a common language. But if you don't understand that language, it's really just trying to get that person to think about the different awareness areas in their life, whether it's a relationship, is it the business, you know, or their work that's frustrating them, are they having a problem with their kids or partner and just slowly easing into it. But what I've noticed is that if that other person doesn't actively listen to them, they shut down straight away. And that's the big thing that's happening, mate. And the amount of conversations that I see where someone's trying to have a DNM with someone and their phone rings and they pick it up on that person and go, oh, look, can you excuse me? Mate, that, all that trust and all that building up of actually trying to have a conversation just gets cut straight away and you've just totally lost them. So the main thing for me is that if you're gonna really have a practical conversation with someone that you care about, get rid of all those distractions and really just actively listen to that person to make sure that they know that you care about them and that's how we create trust and that's when we get deeper and deeper till eventually we can basically, you know, talk openly and honestly every time we see that person. But it's a trust game, mate. We have to build trust with people. I love the I love the card game, I love the the
0: language that you're developing here and and the app. So When I was listening to Tim and Ben's podcast and you were talking about the app, I went and downloaded and I've been using it. And before we went on air, you know, you and I were talking, I said, yeah, man, I'm at 86%. My battery is at 86% today. And it hasn't been this week. And so I've been doing it each day. And, uh, you know, I haven't been sleeping as well as I should. And because I'm actually going and just scoring myself, it creates a tangibility. It quantifies the stuff that's not right in my life. You know, at, at that particular time. So then I've been working on it. And then, you know, last night I slept like a rock star and it was actually the opposite of a rock star. I slept like a baby. Slept <laughs> <It's> like a <laughs> nun. That's right, yeah.
1: And so talk us through the app and the language that that develops. So basically, Green X7 created the framework for health and well being. So every time that, you know, well being was being brought up in my industry, it was always based around, you know, mindfulness, nutrition, and physical health, right? Like these are all the things that basically get brought up. But at the end of the day, it's a lot bigger than that, right? There's so many different factors. So we came up with eight awareness areas that we needed to focus on. And you know, we're looking at fun, we're looking at mental health and attitude, we're looking at physical health, we look at friendships, relationships, nutrition, you know, purpose and fun and things like that. So these are the eight things that actually help create balance in our life, right? these are the things that we actually need to stop and pause and bring awareness to what's going wrong in our lives and actually what we need to do to improve it. Because before I knew any of this stuff, mate, I would just get pissed off and angry and I would just box it out. And then the next day I'd wake up and I'd just get repeat, repeat, repeat. But I actually had no tools or awareness of what was really going on with my life. What we had to do was break it down into really practical ways to actually start to recharge our batteries, I guess. And when I talk about your battery, it's really just us being, you know, it looks at your resilience, it looks at your connectability, it looks at your creativity, it looks at your health and your happiness. So it sums up all of these things and gives you basically a score on how you're going, right? So then once you do it, it takes 60 seconds on the app to find out you ask those eight questions. So, you know, sleep, how's your sleep going at the moment and you answer it from one to 10 and how's your relationship going at the moment and hopefully your partner's not looking over your shoulder because they can test your vulnerability. And then basically after those eight questions, it gives you the battery. And then what we've actually done is we need to know what we have to do to improve that right? So if our battery is sitting at, let's say 57%, because right now i would had a look this morning across all our industries, how everyone's going, we're sitting at around 57%, right? Which, mate, that's functioning. So when we look at the battery, you've got survival, you got functioning and you got thriving. Like at the end of the day, we all want to be thriving, right? That's, that's the key. So that's my job is to try and create, you know, sustainable and thriving individuals. But if we've got a battery at 57%, we actually need to bring awareness to what it is that's creating that battery. And so what will happen is it will actually take the algorithm behind those eight questions. It will choose the two lowest ones. So let's just say at the moment, sleep and fun. And then what that does is it basically matches with the seven tools of Green X7. So those tools are movement, environment, earthing, time, connection, breath and reflection. Those eight tools link to those eight awareness areas and it'll basically tell you which one of those tools you need to improve that battery the fastest, and then it'll actually give you activity suggestions, right? So my brother did his yesterday, his battery came through and actually told me that he needs to go and do yoga and go basically, what was it, go for a beach walk and do yoga is going to be the best thing for my brother to recharge his batteries. Sometimes it's going to say you just need to take a day off and go camping. Sometimes it's cloud watch. Sometimes it's just do whatever you need to do. But what it's done is it's basically taken all this white noise, you know, around mental health, health and happiness. It's giving you the suggestions that you need an activity. And then the cool thing about it is that obviously we get to share it, right? So we get to choose to have up to seven people in our lives that we care about. And mate, to be honest, most people might only have one or two, like, and that's, that's the thing, right? Like there's a lot of loneliness going out there at the moment. It's the fastest growing epidemic on the planet. So if we can just have one person that will actually share, you know, our thoughts with mate, that's great. And that gets shared with that person. They get the wellness report, it pops straight up. And instead of like guessing what my brother's, how my brother's going. And every time I ask him, are you okay? He'll always say, yeah, I'm fine because once again, he wants to be resilient, you know, he wears the mask, but now I know exactly what he needs, mate, I'll give him a call, we'll go do it, and job done, recharge the batteries. So in a practical sense, that's really all it's doing, mate, It's just getting you to do the things that we need to do to recharge the batteries.
0: That's awesome. Why employers mm-hmm. getting you to come in and talk to their staff? Because, you know, the traditional mindset of a, a business, the people that are in charge, they're churning the handle, their employees are there to work, and then outside of that, you know, who cares, is the sort of the, the old mindset, I guess. But you're coming in to look at this holistic person. Why are employers caring about that? And what are, the,
1: what are they seeing as a result of the work that you're doing with their people? Yeah, good question, mate. So at the end of the day, whether it's, you know, a battalion or it's a corporate or it's a school, we're all made up of individuals. So if we've got a corporate company and it's a thousand people, that corporate company's battery is based on those thousand people's batteries and individuals, right? So an easy way to explain it is that if your individual's batteries are on average at 50%, right? Your organization is running at about 50%. That's the productivity that your output is. At the end of the day, mate, your input is equal to your staff's productivity and output, and that's what your organisation is. So for me, mate, I've got three businesses, I've got plenty of staff, and at the end of the day, for me, there's two things that I care about. One, obviously, we need to care about the health and happiness of our staff. But at the end of the day, mate, we also need to care about our bottom line because that's how we stay in business is cash flow and bottom line. So I obviously want my staff to be as productive and happy as healthy as possible because that directly relates to their productivity, team culture, resilience, connectability, and on and on it goes. So basically the healthier and happier our staff, the more productivity and creativity that my businesses are going to basically output as well. So yeah, it's simple. It's simple stuff, but it's practical man i love that as
0: a as a corporate kind of key performance indicator the average battery
1: of of our people that's that's pretty powerful that's pretty mm. cool yeah and like at the end of the day we all want thriving sustainability whether it's our individuals organization and like that's what I've got to get people to right? is like my, my thing is like for the last six years now, since I've been putting green X7 into motion in my own life and those around me, I've been able to consistently thrive sustainably. And that to me is like, that's the most important thing I can do. Right. Cause if I know I'm thriving sustainably, I'm walking out of my house, I'm healthy, I'm happy. I'm productive at work. I can connect to my staff. I can connect to my clients. And at the end of the day, I'm just a happy bloke and I'm a lot nicer to be around than what I used to be, that's for sure. Yeah, I get it. I get it.
0: Fantastic, mate. So is there anything or a couple of things that you would recommend to people who are listening to this? You know, let's let's say that they're stressed, they're busy, they've got long commutes, you know, they're maybe in a job that they don't really like, they're spending a lot of time inside, what are a couple of really practical things that anyone could do no matter their circumstance and, and where they're living to, to improve their battery?
1: Mm. So mate, if we're going to go right to the very core of how we look after our own wellbeing or wellness, the first thing is, mate, is, is financial, right? So at the end of the day, we need to have time to be able to look after ourselves. And the only way we do that is by time and not start. So I learned a really valuable lesson back when the global financial crisis hit. So at that time I was taking wealthy blokes around the world, diving, having great adventures. When the GFC hit, I lost pretty much all of my customers. So I realized back then, and I had a lot of great mentors. And the one thing they always told me was whatever you do live within your means. And I mean, well within your means. And so from that very time on when I started the business and stuff, I made sure that, you know, I bought a car that I could easily afford, I bought a house that I could easily afford, I went on holidays that I could easily afford. And what that allowed me to do was have a buffer so I actually didn't have to financially stress every day, every week, every year about how I was going to earn the next dollar to pay for my extravagance. So I live a very simple lifestyle, I get my enjoyment from actually the free things in life, you know, going out and having picnics with my partner, going surfing, going camping, things like that. Sure, we still take the holidays and things, but as long as you live well within your means, and that's going to make a big difference between someone that's on $100,000 a year to someone that's on a million plus a year. As long as you live within your means, that's the main thing so what that does is that actually sets you up so instead of having to work you know 60 70 hours a week just to be able to afford your lifestyle that actually starts to allow you to have maybe 10 or 20 hours that you can use each week to basically reconnect to yourself others and nature which really just improves your mental emotional and physical health right that's the first thing i try and get people to do i've just read the barefoot investor for the second time now Really good book, practical, gives you some really good solutions. So that would be the first thing I'd tell people to do is get their finances in order to start to create time. The next thing I would definitely do is to create a rhythm. The rhythm for me has changed my whole life. So before I created a rhythm, I'd go to bed at whatever time I'd wake up at whatever time and things would just happen to me. Things no longer happen to me anymore. I actually make things happen and that's what the difference is. So I go to bed at a certain time. So I wake up. So my, my typical routine, it's probably a little bit different to most, but this is how I would say for anybody that wants to start looking after their own well-being, this would be the first point of call. And number one is to actually create a sleep routine. This is so important. So for me, I go to bed at 9.30, I'll wake up at 4.30. And I know at 4.30, the first thing I do is do 15 minutes of stretching and a few kinesthetics. That's just push-ups and sit-ups, right? The next thing I'll do is a little bit of gratitude, a bit of mindfulness, and then I'll get stuck straight into my office work for a couple of hours. Now, the thing is at about seven o'clock in the morning, I know what's gonna happen. My retrievers are gonna come into my office. They're gonna start going, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh. Because they're on the same rhythm as me, mate. And I tell you what, if that clock pushes past seven o'clock, mate, they're in there with their leads and they're going at me, right? And so what we've done is we've created this rhythm that between seven o'clock and eight o'clock. So if my partner's at home, she's a firefighter, so she's four days on, four days off. But when she's at home, mate, we'll go down to the beach. We'll leave all the technology behind. We'll go for a beach walk. We'll go for a swim. We'll grab a coffee. And what that's done is that's actually hit all of those seven tools. So I've nailed all of them, mate. So Green X7 is done and dusted for the day. Now, whatever happens after eight o'clock, typically, mate, mate, who knows, right? I could be traveling anywhere around the world. I could be at home just doing office work. It doesn't really matter. But every time I go to sleep that night, I know that I've already done something that day to support my mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. And so I can never go wrong. And so for me, I know that I'm always going to keep that rhythm up because I know what I used to feel like beforehand. And I know what my battery would have been like, my mental attitude. And I know what it is now. And I actually really enjoy waking up every day and feeling like I love being inside my brain. Like, mate, I stopped drinking alcohol five years ago because I actually didn't like, I didn't like, altering the way that my brain felt because I'm in a really good state of mind and I'm, I'm happy to keep it that way. So that would be the most practical tips is creating a sleep routine and then from there mate it's just it's slowly ticking off working a routine to get some movement you know to eat better and away you go. That's awesome that's
0: awesome and a fantastic way to finish I think Tim. So mate thanks very much for coming onto the program this has been really informative inspirational and some fun as well which is all the boxes we're trying to tick so thanks mate really appreciate it
1: mate no worries at all fun is the most important thing anthony so if I'm getting I on agree, it, mate. go tell someone to have some fun that's what i reckon nice one nice one beautiful mate well thanks very much good on you anthony thanks mate have a great day you too mate
0: Well, that's a wrap for today, everyone. I sincerely appreciate your time. I'd love to hear your feedback and get your reviews. If there's anyone who you think I should be interviewing, send me their details and I'll reach out. And please share this with anyone in your life who you think might connect with what we're all about here at The Antitoxin. Have fun out there today and try not to take life too seriously.